0: I just think it was a lot of fun. You know, I think it was a, it was a well-played game on both sides. You know, um, you know, we we were able to scratch a couple runs across and I'm not sure it was the fifth or the sixth, but, you know, aside from that, it was a well-played game and um, you know, it it was fun to be a part of.
1: Flip, that was Corey Kluber talking to our Meredith Marakovitz just minutes after his no-hitter on Wednesday night. And for me, Flip, the one takeaway from that interview I think is just how stoic he was. And looking back, it's probably that demeanor, that Klubot attitude, that helped him through a, some anxious innings. I'd say at the end, am I right? Um, there's no no doubt the demeanor helps a
2: lot. I mean, he he, I'm sure he obviously was feeling a lot of emotion. He had to be, but he didn't show it on the mound. I mean, there's an expression about ice water in your veins. You know, this was ice water in the veins time. That was that was quite a performance. And, you know, interesting at 35 years old, after not pitching basically for two years, having gone through the number of injuries that he went through and, you know, it's documented and, he, you know, having to you know, try out to, to show the other teams in the game that he could, he still have what it takes to be a successful pitcher. And the Yankees, you know, saying, OK, they're, we're going to make that commitment. And uh, to him, they did. Brian Cashman and his team did an incredible job here. They really did. And, you know, and, uh, you know, it took a couple of starts for him to start to find his C legs. He hadn't pitched in a long time, but you could see he was building start after start after start. First four or five starts were, you know, he, he was struggling a little bit, but he was trying to find his, it wasn't so much his control, but his command, being able to put pitches where he wanted to put them. And, you know, and because they would lay a really great slider uh, that he has, you know, you can lay off that if, and, 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 and a disciplined hitter can. But it's hard to – his command got so much better. And as his command, you know, got better and he felt more comfortable out there, you could see it. The starts were getting better. And this is the culmination of a lot of hard work. And he's at a point now, obviously, where – I mean, that was dominant. He was dominant. The the, the, the uh, They had no chance. They had absolutely – the Rangers had, were, had no chance against him. I mean, you could see this early on. I mean, the anticipation I saw in the first, second inning, I said, this has got unhittable stuff, and you don't see that a lot. This was a night where you thought a no hitter was possible early on because of how dominant he was. Just no matter if he, if he had the stamina to you know finish a game like that, but incredible.
1: You're right. The Rangers looked lost. Um, he was throwing his curveball for strikes. The breaking ball had amazing movement, and I'm glad you mentioned that you you saw it early on. So like you and I last night, we were talk. We were the fifth and sixth inning. We were watching it together on the phone. Um, I asked you if you think he can do it tonight. And you said, yes, you said his stuff is that good tonight. You said, yes. And then Boone after the game said he thought about it in the first inning. That's how good he looked.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could see it. I mean, you know, I I left we have a very special guest coming up and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and I, we'll have to ask him about what, what it was. It was, a, it was a slider. It was a curve. I mean, it maybe it's a combination. I, I don't know. To me, it looked like a slider. But, you know, he's got his slider. He's got curve. He's quite a few. He's a repertoire of pitches. That changeup, when he started to lose that slider, which started to go about the seventh inning, you could see it didn't have the same fade on it, the same break on it. Uh, he went more than a changeup, and that changeup has been so effective for him incredibly effective because of the way he throws his other pitches. So it was—it was—it was a masterpiece. That's the only, I call it a masterpiece because it was, and uh, I thought our guys on yes did an incredible job of covering it, not only in the game but in the post-game show. So you know, my kudos to, to Jared Bosnack and Troy Benjamin and Danny Barr. I think they did an incredible job last night. It was a, a pleasure to watch the, the, that 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 uh, the job that they did, the the, the masterpiece that they painted was just uh was great for the audience and and the post game show I thought that, again they did a really wonderful job of of telling the story and putting an exclamation point on what was a you know was an incredible incredible night for us
1: you're right the change up is undoubtedly part of the story he threw it eighteen times last night nine times in the last three innings, so he was really relying on it toward the latter half of the game or latter part of the game i should say uh a sub story here i think is Kyle Higashioka behind the plate. I, I think we get to that when we speak with Eric Kratz. What do you think?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, listen, you, nobody nobody achieves greatness by themselves. I mean, we could go talk about Tyler Wade. I mean, the, the, how about that? How about getting in the game because of, of an injury, and uh, you know he hits the triple and uh, and and he drives in a run and he scores. The run. I mean, I mean the, the uh, that that. And that catch, that catch in the ninth inning, it didn't seem like at the time it was a great catch. But he covered a lot of ground to get there. And he's not an outfielder by trade. So he was there because the Yankees had no more outfielders because of some injuries. And so Tyler Wade is versatile. That's what you talk about the Swiss Army Knife person. He's the Swiss Army Knife on a team. He can play a lot of positions. But – but. You know, in a pinch, he had to play the outfield, and he, played, he made a really nice play there on a ball that could have been a hit. I mean, he took it away. So, you know, not only had the, he, he his legs made a difference on the in the game, his bat made a difference in the game, and that catch made a difference in the game. So, yes, that was incredible. And, and Hickey Igashioka deserves a lot of credit, too, because you can't get a no-hitter achieve a no-hitter without your catcher being total sink. And, and there was one time that I saw – we'll have to ask Eric Kratz about this. There's not one time that I saw that he shook him off. So that says they were in perfect sync to me, and it was—it really was a joy to watch this unfold. If you were a baseball fan, I mean, I know there's been no hitters thrown this year, maybe a, a ridiculous number, but it doesn't matter the achievement is still incredible and it's not to be diminished by the, because there's been no hitters before in this season. It happens. You know, the the pitchers are pitching great and the hitters are swinging for the fences. And you swing for the fences, you miss a lot. And that's what's going on with the, the offenses. So but a dominant pitcher like that, that kind of stuff, nobody was going to hit him. I don't care what the error was, who they were playing. That was unhittable stuff.
1: Speaking of Higashioka, in Kluber's last five starts, Higashioka caught all five. Kluber is 4-0 with a 1.78.
2: Clearly, there's a comfort factor. He has a great comfort factor with Agashioka. So does Cole. Garrett Cole does as well. And listen, there's a – Kyle Agashioka has been terrific in his role. He's accepted his role. He catches when when he's told to catch. He's he's got a nice bat. He's not going to hit for average. He's got power. He's going to hit home runs. He's going to walk into pitches and things. And he's got, like I said, power. He's not a contact hitter, so so there's not going to be a batting average there. But he's gotten some very big hits for the Yankees. And his ability behind the plate – He's really a very, very solid catcher. Uh, he's got no holes. And he's smart, and he works well with his pitches. He blocks pitches he can throw. He, he frames well. He does all the things you look for in a catcher. And uh, it's nice that he had a chance after all these years to, to get to the big leagues and to achieve uh, the, the, the things that he's achieved already and the ways in which he's achieved them.
1: Speaking of catchers, should we get to our guest? Let's do that. So we have a break coming up,
2: right? Remember, rate, review, subscribe. We really appreciate that. That's important to us. Thank you for your very... People have been so incredibly kind to us, Kevin, on the comments. So thank you for that. It makes good reading. It makes me feel better. It makes Kevin feel better. So thank you for that. We appreciate it very much. On the other side of the break, Eric Kratz will join us. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere because you're going to miss uh, an incredible personality. He's really interesting to listen to. So hopefully we ask the right questions, and we'll get to that in just a second. This is Curtain Call. John Filippelli, along with Kevin Sullivan. This is Kurt Call. Welcome back. A uh, very special guest at this time uh, is Eric Kratz. Now, Eric played for 19 professional seasons. Let's talk about perseverance. 19 professional seasons. He uh, with the Yankees uh, four times, the Blue Jays three times, the Phillies uh, twice, the Pirates twice. And he was a member of the, of the 2015 Kansas City World Championship team. I mean, that is quite a uh, it's a a testament to perseverance, but he is well known around the game. He's very well respected around the game. Uh, He's interesting. He's opinionated. He's funny. And um, he's our very special guest at this time. So, you know, Eric, welcome to Curtain Call. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me on, Flip. Kevin? Of all your games that you played, all the things and teams you worked on, you were with, what is your most outstanding memory of the game? I won't go there but I'm going to go there. So what was your outstanding memory of the game? You know
0: what, when people ask me that, it's something that I sit there and I'm like, Oh, you know, are you looking for like, Oh, did I hit a big home run in a moment? To me, it had to be like the first things that come to my mind are just the, the team the team things that we accomplished like 2018 Brewers. Nobody expected us to be in the playoffs. Nobody expected us to win the division. We ended up having the best record in the division and winning that wild card. It wasn't even a wild card, it was a play in game in 18. And winning that game in Wrigley Field, that was amazing. The Royals, 2014, we won the wild card game against the A's, who they were heavily favored over us. Um, any anytime, anytime we have a team accomplishment when nobody else, nobody else was picking us, it brings the team closer. And those are the things that stick out to me. And maybe that's because I didn't have that great statistically of a career, but the the those those moments I'll never forget them. I'll never forget them. Just like I'll never forget the game we won yesterday in the middle school last game of the middle school season.
2: It's it, it's it's nice now. Uh... Uh, being retired from the game, if you will, as a player, it's nice to be home. It's nice to be with the family. That's that's uh, it, it's it's not neglect. It's it's what you had to do. We've all had to do that. We all have to travel. We have to be on the road. We all have to be away from our family. So if you're in the business that we're in, but uh, particularly hard on on a professional baseball player, is it not?
0: Yep, yep, for sure. And it's it's something that's that's a huge. It, it can be a burden, but it can also be something like you said. The word perseverance. I don't, I'd never thought during my career, oh yeah, I'm going to persevere. No, you just do the right things. You do the right things. No matter what happens the day before, the next day you wake up to do the right thing. You do the right thing for your wife, for your kids, for your teammate, for the people around you and for yourself. And that's, that's how you get, that's how you get through times of perseverance. Now you look back on it's perseverance, but it's, During those times, I got to visit tons of cities with my family, with my kids. They got to see games up close and personal. So, yes, there was definitely a burden, and yes, that's why I'm home.
2: Last night, Eric uh, was uh, was one of great. As we're recording this, was one of the great performances I've seen. I can't say it's such a long time. Uh, Kluber was magnificent last night. He was just Corey did was just incredible. Uh, his, uh, that slider was incredible. That performance was gutsy. Uh, no hitters are, you know, are hard to come by most years, not so much this year, but they've been, They're still hard to come by in, 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 the aggregate. And it's quite an achievement. It hasn't been a long time. What, when you were watching this, uh, what was going through your mind? What were your thoughts when you watching, uh, Corey Kluber spin this masterpiece?
0: I was Pleasure to catch him in spring training in 2017. I think I caught two or three of his starts. But in between those starts, you get to know the guy. You get to know what he does. You watch him in the clubhouse and how he works. He is, Roy Holiday and him were very similar. Not the fact that, you know, the fact that they were both very quiet, introverted people until you talk to them. You know, they weren't, they weren't mute. They'd talk to you and they would, they would discuss things but on the mound, their ability to stay pitch to pitch is incredible, even in spring training. And when you watch a guy like that working through something like a no-hitter, you know, the first inning, you're like, that's a no-hitter. The third inning, you're like, that's cool, one time through. And then the skeptic in you is like, all right, six innings, now this is a real thing. And I'm, and I'm even, I'm getting, my palms are getting sweaty right now. From the sixth inning on, I was less nervous for Kluber and more nervous for Higgy because I've been there. I never accomplished it in the big leagues, in the minor leagues, nothing. And I know Kyle, and I know how he is just a solid, like nothing nothing makes it blip on the radar, but I know this blipped on the radar for him. And he was ready to go. He had every pitch. He knew – he knew what to do. And Kyle's Kyle's game calling is second to none. He might be one of the best game callers. And I didn't watch, I didn't see Kluber shake off one time, and they kept going to the well. And that pitch that he was throwing yesterday, it's not even he calls it a curveball. It slides like a slider, spins like a curveball, and looks like a wiffle ball. So if you can like mix in like curveball, slider, wiffle ball, and the word Kluber. Then you'll get the sense of what kind of pitch he was throwing. Backdoor, front door, side door, back door, high door, whatever it was. It was awesome. And they kept going to it. Because at that point, that's that's what you got to go for. You got to go for the no-hitter.
1: From a catcher standpoint, Eric, how much credit does Kyle Higashioka deserve for Wednesday night? In my opinion,
0: it's – Unfortunately, it's a 50-50 thing. I mean, you could say it's 90-10%. You know, Kluber gets 90%. He gets 10%. Whatever it is, in the mind of a catcher, you have to be there for every single pitch. There might be only one pitch that screws up a no-hitter. And if you aren't present for that one, then it doesn't happen. You screw up a wild pitch. The perfect game doesn't happen. And so... A guy like Kyle getting him through that, and then the last ground ball out, fly ball out, whatever the last out's gonna be. If that pitcher turns around and looks at his catcher and his emotions change, like how many times has Corey Kluber ever raised his hand at the end of a game? And he looked at Kyle and his exclamation, his, it was incredible. And so it shows you what that meant, what Kyle's game, what Kyle's game calling meant to Corey. And that's the only person that can tell you that it meant anything. You know, there might be a night where a pitcher might be like, I don't care who's back there. I'm just going to throw as hard as I can. All right, well, you'll be out in the sixth too. So that's that's how that goes.
1: Kyle Agashioka was the first person he was looking for. Um, for sure. And – you can tell Kluber, and same thing with Cole, they really trust Togashioka behind the plate. Uh, and you hear that as a fan a lot. This pitcher trusts this catcher. But what does that mean? Is that quantifiable? Like no.
0: It's not quantifiable, except in wins and losses. And the name of the game in the big leagues is wins and losses. I got no problem with somebody saying, I really trust this guy in the big leagues. If you're in the minor leagues and you're like, oh, well, I need to have this catcher all right, bro, like you need to figure it out. You're in the minor leagues. You need to pitch better than this because if you need a crutch in the minor leagues, you ain't going to make it in the big leagues. In the big leagues, it's all about winning. And I think it's something that is cyclical. I think it, it rotates. I don't think you say, okay, well, I want Kyle Higashioka to catch me. Okay, well, in July, if you're, if you're stinking, if you're not doing well, you need to be able to make a change. But you also need to be able to make a change as a pitcher if you're not able, if he's not able to be out there, you know, if Higgy's not able to catch a, catch a game for some reason. I think it's something that you have to be able to make the adjustment, especially the best pitchers. And so I'm not 100% on board with the personal catchers, but I am when it's working. When it's working, you, you drain that well dry because sometimes pitches don't work. I remember catching a – I won't say his name, but he's a future Hall of Famer. And he, pit, he threw to the other – our other catcher, the starting catcher, because I'm not the starting catcher. And he just wasn't having solid outings. You know, his one, his one go-to pitch when I was catching in the bullpen, it just wasn't working. It just wasn't – it wasn't working. And I knew that the starter – who cared so deeply about this guy and everybody on the starting staff. So it wasn't a selfish thing. He just kept calling this pitch and the pitch kept getting hammered. And this was before a lot of analytics. And so the analytics, I think might've, might've cut this off at the, you know, cut this off before it became like a five, six game thing, but I got to get in there and catch him. And he went eight innings, one run. I'm not saying that it was me. The guy has the ability. The guy's going to be a future hall of famer his usage of his pitches can change and it's a little tweak. And you're talking about the difference between Corey Kluber going eight innings and Chapman coming in and Corey Kluber giving up three hits, or you're talking about him going one extra inning and giving up no hits. You know, it's a tiny change. There's a huge, huge result at the end, but it's a tiny change.
2: Last night, I mean, I thought it was a slider that Kluber, I mean, I was calling it a slider (laughs) That, but because that pitch was just unhittable last night, it was unhittable. It Was one of the best sliders. At least I was calling it a slider. You would know better than yeah. I would. But it was, it was incredible. They would just they they could, they they were missing it by a foot. Okay, I have ne- that's his stuff was pronounced was yep. be a good word, yep. but it start, his slider started to fade around the seventh or so. So he was going more to change ups. Do I have this? Do I have this right? You're you're exactly right. And and his slider well. It's a
0: curveball, right. but it technically is a slider. It's it's a wiffle ball slider, but he throws it's a curveball. It's not a 12-6 curveball like you would see, you know, like you would see a Ted Lilly 12-6 curveball, that kind of thing. Um, but his he was going to the changeup. He was smattering the changeup in here and there. Some of the worst sliders, and this is where it kind of gets a little a little iffy, is some of the worst sliders, the ones he'll come hard in to lefties, is actually a cutter. Which actually looks like a slider, and that one was spinning. That's actually the one that uh, Willie Calhoun uh, hit for the final out. Is what is what it looked like to me. It was a, it just kind of stayed. It stayed middle, and he got the final out on that pitch.
1: Eric, I want to get your take on uh, the other Yankees catcher, Gary Sanchez. Um, he's become one of the most polarizing players on the Yankees batting 189 this year, 147 last year. And the confusing thing I think to a lot of players is that's coming, coming off of two big years in 16 and 17 at the plate. What's going on there with his offense. Do you think?
0: I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go into production behind the plate. Um, I think it's something that you can't deny what he has done on the same hand. You can't deny what he's not doing right now. And if you delve deeper into the numbers and I haven't, I haven't gone super far into the numbers, but what had, what made him successful before what allowed him in an approach standpoint to hit the ball hard? Because I tell my 12 and 14 year old sons when they get pissed off that they hit a ball and they get out they hit it hard. Hey, you know, it's something my dad taught me long ago. You hit the ball hard. Good things will happen. Maybe not this at bat, maybe next at bat. But when you live in the land of the Yankees, in the empire, you have an opportunity to be under a microscope every single at bat. And sometimes it it cascades into issues that you might be trying to fix something that doesn't need fixing. Gary Sanchez does hit the ball hard, but you know what? This is the big leagues. You got to get hits. You got to get hits. You got to get on base. His on base percentage compared to his batting average has gone up. So now I look at okay, how is he, how much is he being aggressive at the plate? Because sometimes when you're like, well, I got to up my on base percentage because my batting average is lower, you get into a take mode, you get into a less aggressive mode. And I would say that's the biggest thing not that he's less aggressive that he's behind on some of the fastballs that you've seen him hit into like whatever the the next the next county over and outside of, outside of the bronx it's incredible what he can do and i promise he will get back to that and if you constantly look at the 189 or 140 he can't do anything about his 147 but he can do something about what's happening next game. And I think he's on that path seeing some of his last few at-bats.
2: It's very – it's very to me, it's, it's interesting when a player starts off the way Gary Sanchez did and had. And great success. He had great success the first two years of his career. And that trajectory, you looked at – I mean, you say to yourself, that's a Hall of Fame trajectory. It's only two years. But you say, this, this, this guy is something else. Yep. And then, then things have gone south. So that's hard to figure. I mean, is, is, that, is it not hard to figure that? Usually it, it, you work your way up to big years. You don't have them, <laughs> and then all of a sudden don't have them at that you're, age.
0: You're exactly right. You go, through, you go through times of, you know, somebody comes up and maybe they do really well their first, like, half a season, and then they come back sophomore slump kind of thing, the league. Oh, the league figures them out. The league's always going to figure you out. I think if you look back – after his 2018 or 19 season he did have a shoulder a shoulder procedure that may or may not have affected him but i guarantee you that and and i base i base players abilities how how the league really feels about somebody based on what they would do if this player is available this offseason he was a big Oh, the Yankees should probably non-tender him. The, I guarantee you everybody but the Phillies and the White Sox would have gone after him. They would have gone after him and they would have tendered him whatever the contract needed to be. I'm not talking hundreds of millions, but he would have gotten a, a one-year, large one-year or a, or a smaller two-year deal because his ability is still there. And people hear surgery and they're like, oh, it's a six, eight month recovery from surgery. I say it's a, it's a time and a half, a life and a half for the surgery. If it's eight months, to me, it's 12 months till you are actually ready to go. Now, 12 months takes us all the way through last year and his ability to recover. And now you're adjusting your swing, plus you didn't have success. So things compound on top of each other once he is a hundred percent healthy and I'm not saying here that he is not a hundred percent healthy. I am saying that he is going to get on a roll and the way that he works, if I knew, if I didn't know him and I found out from somebody he didn't work, I would say, nah, doesn't, doesn't matter. This guy's in there. This guy is ready to go every single day and he is trying his hardest and like, for players like me, I have to try my hardest just to be able to be in the big leagues. When a superstar, and you said it yourself, Flip, possible future Hall of Famer, works like he works, I have, I have no doubt he's going to do incredible.
2: If you had to give him advice, you have obviously a, 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 a vast amount of knowledge on how to catch. you caught for a long time and were considered a very good catcher. What, what advice would you give him?
0: The more that I was in the big leagues, the less things I know, flip. So that is for sure. But I would give him one piece of advice. And two words be you. His talent is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Be yourself. Be you. Be who you are, which is athletic, which is prepared, which is hardworking. And all those things. We'll take over.
1: Last year, Eric, you really tugged at the heartstrings of Yankees fans when you gave, I would say, a pretty emotional interview with our Meredith Morakovitz talking about how seriously you take the role of mentoring young pitchers, particularly the young Latin pitchers. Where, where did that desire to see them succeed come from?
0: Just, you know, I, I always had a connection with them from, from rookie ball. Uh, my Spanish... I realized that I learned in high school and college wasn't that great a conversation Spanish. So I got to know these guys through trying to use my Spanish, but learning to actually use it correctly. Um, but it never really, like it was just kind of a thing. Like I had, I had friends, I had teammates coming up through, through the Blue Jays. And then once I got to the Pirates, two things happened. One I met Nate. Nate McLeuth. Nate McClouth was just, I mean, an incredible person. And if you heard him talk Spanish, you were like, "What? Like, are you Puerto Rican? Like, you think like you're like was your mom like McClouth doesn't sound like a Spanish name." <laughs> and he's like, "No, I just wanted to, I just wanted to talk to these guys, and they were my teammates." And in my head, I'm like, "That is." unbelievable that is so awesome like as a catcher if there's 13 pitchers on your team the chances are 7 are going to be a latino pitcher if there's 25 guys on your team chances are half of them are going to be latino and th- if you want to win that's that's the way you do it you get to know these guys you get everybody feeling comfortable if somebody likes donuts, you bring donuts in. Like, okay. like that's just part... Like, that's, that, that's where it's at. If you like coffee, you know, you find out who else likes coffee and you get to know those guys. And so you meet people where they are. And these Latino players, to me, need to be met where they are because they may come from a different country, but they have the exact same opportunity once they are here in the States to play, all they have to do is play well. And there's a lot of things that get in the way of American players not playing well, just like it does the Latino players. And when I went down to Dominican and played, that really put it over the top for me. I was one of seven or eight American players on our team. And they had no more room in the Americans, quote, American side of the locker room. And they ended up putting me smack dab in the middle of uh Julian Tavares and um oh shoot um he was a closer for the he was a closer for the he had a sweet name closer his mom was unbelievable she always made me dumplings (laughs) closer for the Tigers um little guy Al Albuquerque Al Albuquerque Those are my two locker mates. Oh my Francesca's favorite guy. al Albuquerque. <laughs> that, that's true. What a great name. What a great yeah, name. And an exactly. incredible person. His mom used to make me dumplings. Dumplings con Todos means dumplings with everything. She would make me dumplings with fish, dumplings with pork, dumplings with cheese. Like, and you know what I could crush some cheese. But anyway, I'm in the middle of this locker room. And that was the greatest experience for me to see what other guys go through. What other guys go through, how am I going to be the best player I'm going to be if I just sit at my locker like this all day? I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a sitter. I'm a talker. I, I, like, conversate. I'm a people watcher. And there's somebody that comes through the system, whatever minor league system it is, and they're that way too. The difference is they're Latino and some people look past them because there's other Latinos that bug them. And that is unfair to that player because people that, bug, you know, white American guys, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the demographic is, you have, you have the duty as a teammate, as a human, as a, a person who wants to win to try to get the most out of that person and you know i i really i i gravitated towards a lot of the young latino guys and it was always something that i've always done it just happened to be the fact that there was no fans in the stands and i kind of let my guard down last year and everybody heard me say i'm playing catch with my son and but that was that was he and i's joke the whole year and so it it was a it was a fun relationship that you know the fans ended up Getting to hear.
2: I I want to get your take on on something else. The Houston Astros. What went on? Sign-stealing. But sign-stealing in a way with using electronic surveillance. And we've all heard the story. We've all talked about it. Anybody listening to this is is well aware of what happened. Um, Give me your take on this.
0: My serious side or my joking side? First... Both First, side. my joking side, I was with the Astros in 2016 and incredible team. So I got to really know those guys and I tell everybody that I was there for a month and a half and I started the sign stealing. But if you look at my batting average, I hit 032 and like, I don't know how many bats I had, like 27. I was like, great sign stealing scheme. I got bad ears. So that's what I always tell people. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what? And, and the serious side of it. Yeah people want to, first of all, jump on other people who make mistakes. And if you haven't, you know, the first, ye who has without sin cast the first stone and we've all made mistakes. Uh, But I also think it wasn't something like, we are sitting here going, all right, nobody's stealing signs. And all of a sudden, they come out with the trash can electronic stealing. I can tell you that a team that has been to the World Series often recently, we caught them doing something almost similar. And I can also tell you, and I, because I don't really care, I don't know anybody over there, the Colorado Rockies were doing the exact same thing in 2018. And we caught them, and we played them in the playoffs. In the playoffs, you know how many runs they scored? In a three-game playoff series in 2018, not many people watched the NLDS. They scored two runs in the ninth inning of game two. And they used to take a Theragun and bang it on their metal bench and they were doing the exact same thing from the TV. So there you go. If you think no one else was doing it, you are wrong. The difference is the Astros may have taken it a little too far, maybe a little bit too far, maybe continued to do it, or maybe it's just the fact that they won the World Series and everybody's pissed about that. It's like, you know, ah, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this girl to go out with me. You know what? You're going to do whatever it takes. Maybe three other girls or maybe three other guys are doing the same thing. You know who's going to be the most pissed? The three other guys who didn't get to take that girl out. They all did the exact same thing. I'm not saying it's it's equal, and I'm not saying that it's right what the Astros did. But I know two other teams that season now is in the National League, and those two teams didn't win the World Series. They were doing very, very similar things. So it's kind of like, it's, I, I associate it with guys who want to get on their soapbox about steroid guys. And like, oh man, I've never done steroids. Pump the brakes. Have you never taken anything that's a performance enhancer? Like, and if you haven't, then you need to feel fine about yourself. Like you don't need to go and roast other people. Like if you've never stolen signs, if you've never been a guy that's used close to shady aspects of stealing signs, to me, I think if you're out second base and the catcher is given one sign, given second sign, like, Hey, Poppy, we're going second sign. I'm going to get it. And I'm going to go and tell the hitter what's happening because that's gamesmanship. I think they probably went overboard
2: a little bit. They were told specifically by the commissioner to stop what they were doing. Now, you could say other teams did it, uh, and I'm sure that there's truth to that. I'm I'm, re- I'm very sure that there's truth to that. Mm-hmm. Having said that, they weren't; those other teams were not told by the commissioner to stop. You're right. And they were told that, and they didn't. And I thought that I personally, I thought that the the commissioner should have thrown the book at them to set an example. It's like these are the rules, and you're supposed to play by the rules. And if you don't play by the rules, so a lot of people don't. Some teams don't. But when you get caught, there's a penalty there. Yep. And the lesson to me should have been, we, you know, you were told not to do it and you did it. It tarnishes the game. It tarnishes the image of the game. And therefore, I am, taking, I am taking that championship away from you. That's what I would have done. Now, I know that's strident, but that's just my stance on it. I do. I
0: do agree with that and I associate it with speeding. My son's going to be driving in a couple years. Have you ever gotten a speeding ticket? If either of you gotten a speeding ticket, you've paid the fine. If you haven't, then this might be the last podcast that you do for like a two- to three-month period when you spend your time in a clink. But you know, just like the commissioner told them, they knew to stop. You know that the next time you get a speeding ticket, next time the commissioner has to tell you about stealing signs, It's going to be a big thing, and I feel like the commissioner dropped the ball. He dropped the ball, and he punished two people, two men that I respect very highly, and maybe my opinion is jaded in that sense, but I respect those men because I know how one of them handled it and what he did to try to stop it, and it didn't stop, and I think they did everything they could and they still got punished, and I don't, I don't think that's fair, and I think the commissioner handled it poorly because it's like saying, okay, you know what? You didn't come in for curfew in time. Next time, you're losing the car. You don't come in for curfew the next time, I still give my son the car. What have I done? I haven't taught him anything. He's like, cool, I'm just coming in later the next time.
2: Uh, I, I appreciate the... Uh, the- the cloak over the two men, uh, but we could fairly figure out like who the two men are. I don't think this is a big secret. Nope. I'm going to make a wild guess that one might be Core and the other might be Hinch uh, would be my wild guess. I mean, I don't know if I'm right, but I'm going to go there. Um, and The one's right. The one's right. The other one it could be a uh, Beltran or someone, right? We But we don't want to go in these places. Yep. Okay. We'll leave it alone. Uh, all right. But one of the names I just mentioned right now is the manager of the Boston Red Sox, Alex Cora. And you look at the standings, and no one that I know—I mean, I could be—I could be way off base here—but no one that I know in the beginning of the season said, "I think at the quarter, quarter part of the season, the Red Sox are first place in the American League East." But you look at the standings, and you know, and there's some there's competition there, but who's in first place? The Red Sox are. Oh yeah. If you're going to tell me Cora does not make a difference on a team, I'm going to tell you I don't agree with that. When I own it, he's a big difference maker, is he not? Absolutely.
0: In there is way? no doubt. There is no doubt, and I think it's something that is it's not quantifiable, and that's what everyone everyone goes to right away. It's not quantifiable, but you do have to remember they have 26 big league players on their team. They are 26 of the 20,000, almost 20,000 people that have ever played in the big leagues. And what you need to do as a manager is never going to be quantifiable, except for in the rings, except for in the wins. And that is something that Cora does well right now in the game. Tony La Russa, I don't think he's doing very well. They have a great record. Absolutely. They have a great team. But I think there's things because it's a long season. If we had played six, if we're only playing 60 games this year, this whole Tony LaRussa like thing is gonna get, you know, washed under the rug. But we got 162 games. And it's not even hot yet in Chicago. When it gets hot, things get testy. Everyone's still like, oh, good behavior. I'll just say a little thing here or there. When you go in like a four-game skid and you look over at that end of the dugout and your guy doesn't have your back that four game skid turns to eight games or it turns to a one in nine. And I think that's what the best managers really do incredibly well. And Cora has, I mean, he's barely been a manager. He's won a, he's won a world series. He's had a vacation season and he is now at the quarter pole He's, he's got the top record in, in the American league. And it's, it's with a team that nobody chose, chose to win. And that's what, to me, that's what brings teams together. You don't choose me to win whatever, you know, I don't think anybody on that Red Sox team, you think JD Martinez went into the off season and was like, I'm not going to do anything. Like uh, I'm just going to try to get some things going on and, see what happens you know no he wants to go out there and be the best freaking JD Martinez that he can be and the same thing is going on over in the National League with Craig Council Craig Council's team every year is picked by whatever is Pacoda and Fangraphs and you know draftkings.org.com whatever they are To win 70 games, win 72 games. I don't think they have enough pitching. I don't think – no, I think you just glassed over it and you didn't see the impact that a manager has, the impact that caring about your players has. And not just caring about your superstars. Everybody can care about Mike Trout. That's easy. You can care about Shohei Otani right now. You can throw 60 tweets out a day about Shohei Otani and you're going to get your 10 likes – and everybody's going to be super excited. To me, what's something like Aaron Boone and Cora and Craig Council and uh, Mike Matheny, these are guys that dig into their players and want the best for their players for the sake of winning. And they're preaching winning. And they're preaching that Joe Girardi, same exact thing. They are preaching winning And they're preaching it from the standpoint of what can I do as an organization, as a coach, whoever, whatever speaking to the player at that time to make you the best. And those guys are the ones that get the most out of them. Nobody sees it in an 81 and 81 season. You see it in a season like the Red Sox are having right now. Is it sustainable? Heck yeah. It's sustainable because he's going to find a way to not let a pitcher have five starts in a row of being trash he's going to go up to him and ask him and be truly honest because pitchers always be like oh i'm good how you feel i'm good no i know how you feel you're doing trash and i'm going to tell you it's not just oh wow we're gonna we're gonna pump you up flip flip you're the best oh you're the best you've been the best you just keep riding it no you encourage guys you pull the reins back on guys you do all those things, and I think Cora's doing an incredible job of it right now, and there's no reason
2: that can't continue. well I want to go back to Lewis just a second just and then uh, we'll move on. Uh, the incident you're talking about or yep. it was uh, it was a game in which uh, uh, Mer- a better named Mercedes is at the plate, and it's 11 nothing, and they've got a, a a position player on the mound, and he swung at a three0 pitch. And hit a home run. And there's been a lot of controversy about this. With teams that had that many runs at that time of the game, do you you know you should is it is it just good sportsmanship just to let it go and say it's eleven nothing let's just let's just finish this thing, or do you swing at the pitch and and uh, and uh, against a position player and hit a home run? Uh, there's a lot of take, different takes on this thing. And uh, it's caused a lot of controversy, and Larus has come out and said that he never should have swung at that pitch. That was his stance, and it's he's really uh, there's been a lot of fire and brimstone over this. So give me your take on this when you think about the, the gamesmanship, sportsmanship, or you know uh, what is the batter supposed to do? You know, it's, He's got a job to do as well. So what's your take on this?
0: You, I think you hit all, this, all the topics of it. The batter has a job to do. And nobody ever says, try less. You know, when, when, it's, a, when it's an 11-0 game, 15-3 to game, whatever it is, nobody ever says, don't run hard. No, don't take an extra base. You hit a ball to the left center gap and it hits the wall, you slide into second base because you're running hard, and that's that. If you hit a ball, if you're bunting up 15-3, to I think that's a little bit, eh. They put a position player in to face German Mercedes, German Mercedes. This guy is a rookie, 28 years old. He spent at least 10 years in the minor leagues. I faced him in A Charlotte, and this guy is a legitimate player who needs to be in the big leagues, and he's showing that you don't take your foot off the gas. And as a manager... You don't stop backing your player. There's very few things, and I can, and I top of my head, some of the things that people have gotten in trouble for in Major League Baseball um, that I would not stand for as a manager. And I'm not talking to anything on the field. There is nothing you can do on the field that, as a manager, I am not going to stick up for you because you are my guy. You might have done wrong, and I'll tell you, you did wrong but for tony larusa to tell the media to sit there in his media scrum whatever they call it now the zoom scrum hmm. and be leaning back and yeah you know what i don't think i don't think you should have done it and then to claim that he was running out onto the field saying take 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 he's digging himself in to this persona that he's built up about himself. And I think that is one of the biggest things in baseball that if you have an ego, you are only hurting everybody around you. It might build yourself up. Tony Arusa will always have a job in baseball. He is always going to have a job in baseball and it's going to, so it's going to build his own resume himself up. But right now, he has a lot of work to do in that clubhouse. The respect See. is so huge in that clubhouse. And you know what? The White Sox, because I've played for a team that we didn't respect the manager, and it brought us together as a team. We had a team meeting, and we said, we don't respect this guy. We're going to do it despite him.
1: And we did awesome. La Russa, in my opinion, is the bigger story than the actual yeah. 3-0 swing in the ninth for inning. Sure. And he took he went as so far as to call him a clueless rookie, which that's where I think that's where that first domino fell, clueless rookie comment. And what I want to know, I guess, is is that him showing his his age? And by age I mean 20 years ago he could get away with that.
0: Because they didn't, yeah. Like who's who who had that who had that rant about Chicago Cubs fans like Twenty-five, thirty years ago, Oh. I forget what his name oh, was, was, but
2: uh, he was the Phillies. He came from the Phillies. He was a Phillies. Yep. He became the manager. I'm, it's, I'm blanking too. It'll come to me.
0: But his, but his, his rant ended up getting recorded that time.
2: Charlie Manuel.
0: No, it wasn't. Oh, it wasn't no, Chuck. No, 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 no. It, it was before that. we're talking like
1: 80s. Oh, in the 80s. Yeah. Right, and, chat. I'll look it up. And
0: he, uh, but. But so he comes from that that standpoint for sure. But there's there's other older guys. Chuck Chuck's from that, that time period. Charlie Manuel he's from yeah. that time period. And this man was in your corner. He was in your corner. That yeah. didn't mean that he was yeah. he was he was you know roses and oh this is so nice. He was
2: defending his players. What he was I remember the round oh. track, thinking of the name. But he de- was defending the players because. He said these guys work. They work really hard. And who are you to criticize these guys? who haven't played the game. You don't understand what they go through. And he got on the fans too because the fans were blowing. He says, you know, these they're all out of work. They're, yep. put, they're all here. They're all out of work. They should do something with their lives. I mean, yep. so he, he exactly. Took, I mean, he took it exponentially to places that had never been taken before, For and sure. it was it was laced with profanity. I remember the. I'm just not. <laughs> I apologize because I should know this, and I do know it. I just can't remember the name. But uh, he was uh, – it was awesome in the sense that it, it, all these years later – and uh, we can't play it here because it's just laced with all kinds of things. It was, it was a lot of beats. It was, it was one of the great rants of all – maybe the greatest rant ever. You know, it's right there. And uh, we'll find out who it is. Uh, we'll research it. I, I don't know off the top of my head. But uh, uh, you're right. I mean, you, you're right about all the things that you said. I mean, Tony Russo Russa has an incredible resume in the game, though. And it, it's, some, it's something to say, and it, it's quite a statement to say that, you know, you lose the clubhouse over something like that. But uh, yeah, to your point, you can and probably do lose a clubhouse over that. And it's Definitely. unfortunate because Larusa is a really very good manager. He's got quite a record. He's been around for a really long time. So when you have that kind of resume, you have the success that he's had, and this is going to be one of the things that will define him. He, this will be remembered and underscored and it'll be part of his legacy, good or bad, you know, yep. probably, probably on the negative side, but it'll be part of, of who he is. And sure. that, that's the problem with 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 things that are said and probably the heat of the moment. He's an, Tony's an old school guy. I know Tony. Yeah. He's an old school guy. Uh, he believes in certain things. I mean, listen, I mean the, the game at, at a certain point, you know, These are the things you talk about changes in the game, right? They talked about a mercy rule some years ago about at a certain point, it's like you get to be more than 10 runs and you've got an inning left or two innings left in the game. It's kind of like it should be Lee Ilya is who you were talking about. Yes. Right. It's Lee Ilya. That's the name. Okay. So those of you who are listening to this and want to know about it, go on YouTube, look at Lee Ilya, and you can hear all this in its real glory. But it is quite a rant. It's one of the great ones ever. And, uh, Apologize for not knowing that, but uh, I, I couldn't remember the name, but uh, that's, it is Leo. That's it. Uh, So uh, yeah. So, I mean, but Tony's got to, you know, deal with that. And, uh, you know, subsequently the problem is once you say something, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to say, look, I'm, but you know what, if you make a mistake and this is the problem with society, it's the Mm -hmm. problem with game, it's the problem with everything. It's called, I'm sorry. When you make a mistake, you man up, uh, woman up, whatever. And you say, I'm sorry. Because, which is a very forgiving society. As you pointed out before, everybody makes mistakes. We all make mistakes. Even me could remember Leah's name. So we all make mistakes. We all have things we don't remember. But when you paint yourself into a corner, you in fact have painted yourself in a corner. And if, if Tony wants that team back, I would have to say, look, I said something at the the moment. I was upset about that. I'm an old school guy. This is the way I believe. And you know what, I'm sorry. Because I, I had a wrong take on it, I didn't mean to embarrass. I didn't mean to embarrass uh, Mercedes. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. That's, that's what really it good. takes. Now, Tony will or he won't. I, I don't know what he will do, but if he wants to keep that team, to your point, I think he apologizes and I think he should. You know, you can have one philosophy. It doesn't have one. It does. not philosophy doesn't really matter here. Okay. It's it's the tonality of something, and the tonality of this was bad, and that's why I think that's why Tony's in you know some trouble with this team. No one's sending him to jail. He's not a bad guy. He didn't do anything. But, but in this particular case, this is just again. This is one of those things that baseball is making a lot of changes. And I think that this doesn't come up all the time. It comes how many times it come up? A couple of times a year. But, but to have that kind of this eliminates position players on the mound. All that stuff gets eliminated because position players on the mound don't help the game. That's that's not good for the game. You know what is the kid? What is what is what is Marseille supposed to do? Just sit there? I'll, I'll take pitches. Mm-hmm. If, he, if he takes pitches and he, he walks, well, you, why'd you walk? If he strikes out, then he looks foolish, right? Mm-hmm. You couldn't. A position player got you out, so he's in a no-win situation. So, and you know, by the way, it's you still got to play the game. This is like that seven-inning no-hitter thing that made me crazy. I went crazy on this thing, Bum Gardner, I'm sorry, we're switching gears now, but Bumgardner, I thought I mean, he deserves the no-hitter. We yes. said it was going to be seven. If you say we're going to play a three-inning game, I don't care what it is. Those stats matter and it's a three-inning no-hitter at five, whatever it is, that should count. The whole idea, well, we're not counting. Well, wh- why do you play the game then?
1: Where's the line, right? Where's the, the win line? counts?
2: Where's that line, Eric? Tell me.
0: The win counts. It's a complete game. But because somebody sits up there and says, oh, it's a no-hitter. What? No. It's not a no-hitter. If somebody came in at the end of that game because of a seven-inning game, they get a save. If somebody comes in in the sixth inning and they get a hold... Why, why is there why, – why are you saying this is not a no-hitter? I think, in my opinion, it is something that he can hang his hat on, and that is such an incredible accomplishment that he may never get again in his career.
1: At the beginning of this interview, Eric, you mentioned uh, – I think you said, I did not have a great statistical career. I, I want to I wanna argue something. I want to go back to – you mentioned the 2018 NLDS where you batted 625. And I couldn't turn on MLB network without seeing Eric Kratz. (laughs) And then, in the same vein, and this is what I really want to know when you were a Yankee, your batting average was 150 points higher than your career batting average. Like, how is that? Is it the Yankee pinstripes? Remember, this is a Yankee podcast. This is,
0: yeah, no, it was definitely the pinstripe magic. I'm sure everybody from the Yes Network all the way down to Mike Machaco, the AAA clubhouse, had something to do with the pinstripe magic. <laughs> but no, that's definitely something. You're right. You're right, Kevin. There's no way I can ever say that I didn't have a statistically good career again because I hit 367 as a Yankee. And there's a lot of really good. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering which of my numbers they're going to retire because I wore 36 and then I wore 38. But then again, in spring training, they just gave it to the next guy. So I don't know. No, I mean, statistics, you know, what's so funny is I tell people if anybody who doesn't know what, the, what war stands for, you know, it's a big analytical, whatever it is, acronym now, you know, wins above replacement. I am the R in war i am the replacement and you know what i am so darn proud of it because i got an opportunity to play in the big leagues and i can look my kids in the eye and i can say i gave everything i had and you know what if 209 or 210 whatever it was is is all i could muster i mustered it and i might have hit 367 as a 367 as a Yankee and 32 as an Astro or 100 as a Pirate, whatever it was, I'm proud of every single one of them. Some of them are a little more embarrassing, but I am the R in war and I will always be the R and I love it.
2: If you were uh, starting a team tomorrow and you could pick a player to start this team with, let's say a player not named Mike Trout. I mean, I'm, I don't want to say I'm tired of Mike Trout. Mike Trout is a great player. Great player. Great. No, no no, doubt. Yep. And they should just retire the MVP award and call it the Mike Trout Award. I've said that like a hundred <laughs> times. I really believe that. I mean, that's how great a player he is. Put that aside for a second. Let's put Mike Trout aside for a second. Who would you pick? One player, one, just one. To one player? Not only ability on the field, but character, integrity, leadership. Who would you pick? Juan Soto. For all the reasons I just mentioned?
1: Hard to argue that. All the, reasons.
2: all
0: the reasons you just mentioned, and I get I get it. You know, it's probably a two to three horse race. I don't know Shohei Otani, so he's, he's out of that race for me. Um, I mean, it, it'd be super awesome to have him pitch and, you know, bang homers out of here like Barry Bonds, but, you know, I, I don't know him. Um, Ronald Acuna is very exciting, and I would... I would say a strong third candidate is Trey Turner, even though he's older. I'm a huge, huge Trey Turner slash Corey Seager because I love the shortstop position. I'm pretty sure I'm a shortstop. I'm just like 120 pounds too heavy and I have cement in my shoes, but I'm pretty sure I'm a shortstop in in my next career. But Juan Soto is, he brings so much to your team at such a young age that if you're talking about starting an organization, I take Juan Soto. If you're talking about, I need a bump for my team right now for the next hundred and what do they have left? 116 games left. You know, I might not take Juan Soto, but I mean, if I do take Juan Soto, I'm not wrong. Like he's, he's unbelievable, but the things I've heard about his character, the things I've heard about his work ethic. Those are the two things. I don't don't even really care what your stats are. If those two things are there, we can work with it and we can build around it. Because now I have a young Latino player who's established. He can help my other Latino players. American guys look up to him and he's going to be out there every single day. And, I'm not saying he's never hurt. He had a little banged up thing. I'm saying he wants to be out there. And if you have a superstar that doesn't want to be out there, because I've played with guys that don't want to be out there or are like eh. sixth, seventh inning, they're looking at the bench like, are you going to pinch run for me? Like, I'm good. Like, I got, I got mine and you don't really need me anymore. That, that can be detrimental to a team. And Juan Soto wants to be out there. Juan Soto wants to be the best. I heard an interview where he said in English, I don't want to be a hall of famer. I want to be the best hall of famer. And we're talking about a 21, 20, 22 year old right now, 22 flip. I'm not even going to ask you what you were doing at 22. Cause I know what I was doing at 22 and it was not thinking about the hall of fame.
2: And I, a, I thought oh, I was mature. 20. I have a corn on my foot. That's 22. Okay. So I t- don't go there with me. I mean, he is, he is a great town. That's, that's an interesting choice. That's a very good choice. The other people you mentioned, but Turner is, is very interesting too. You're right. He's older, but he's a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody you mentioned is, is worthy of, uh, of, uh, starting a franchise with, uh, it really has, uh, we've covered a lot. We've talked about a lot of different things, uh, I um it, this is might be this is I think this is our fifty of the fifty first uh uh podcast, uh Kevin. Is it not something along
1: those lines? This might count as fifty-one and fifty-two. We're going so long. Oh a little too yeah, long. I am uh, No, it's not fun. you. It's not you. This is great. Well, it's like a
2: mini-series. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh it's been a really uh it's been really interesting. I've uh, I uh, you're one of the most interesting guests we've had and uh I really appreciate your time. And, uh, uh, let me, let me ask you one more thing. Let me ask you one more thing. Um, what do you want to do now? You have, you have a great, you had a really interesting career. very, very diverse. Uh, you've, you've said a lot of things on this podcast that obviously, you know, reflect your intelligence and reflect your, your opinions that are strong, reflect your knowledge of the game. Um, you could go a lot of places here, uh, you, whether it be broadcasting, whether it be back to the game, manager, some capacity. What, is, what are your ambitions? What are you looking to do? My ambitions are,
0: like you said, broadcasting, back in the game, are, are, both, are both awesome things. And, and, I, and I have a – I'm a little resigned to say, like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do because I feel like that could hamstring me. I feel like my unique career path – And everybody has a unique career path. Some people don't see it as unique. Everybody from Babe Ruth to Eric Kratz, you know, 140 war to zero war in the big leagues is everybody has a unique career path. And my ambition, my next step for me, besides being available and present for my family. And part of that doesn't mean like, oh, I'm just here, like looking at them, you know, staring at them and whatever they do. No. No. I need to be a father to them to show them what hard work looks like, what a man looks like. And I think my unique career path needs to be used to its fullest. What does that mean? I don't know. You know, the way I used it this year or so far this year, I coached a middle school baseball team. I got to see 11 kids that have never played catch before play 11 games. And on the 12th game, win a game in the seventh inning. And those are the things that bring so much joy to my heart because right now that's what I'm able, how I'm able to use my unique career path. If it's in broadcasting, if it's in radio, if it's in TV, if it's in insurance sales, being part of a team that will help build other people up, I feel like I've been put on the earth to just like we all are to be the greatest man, the greatest woman for the other people that I meet. And no matter what it is, I know that I'm going to get after it. the same way I got after my career. And people might look at my career. Like we talked about earlier, Kevin said earlier about my statistics. There's going to be some people who will be like, well, you had a really good career. And other people will be like, "Eh, you were trash. It's okay. You can say I was trash. But the effort I put in and the people that I've met and the unique experiences that I've had, were not lost. And whatever my next career goal ambitions are, I can tell you what I want to do, but that doesn't mean that I'm right. It means that that's the route I want to go. And when I get into that, whatever that is, whatever that person, that group wants to employ me. I'm going to work like crazy at it. And I want to be the best at it that I can be. I can't be better than the greatest of the greats, but I can put everything that I have into it for that employer. Because my dad taught me, he was, he never went to college. He worked at a butcher shop that he ended up with his, with his business partner who ended up giving him half of the company They build it into a very successful company by no other way than investing in the people that are in that company and working hard. And I think everybody needs to attack their life like that. And we would all be better off. You might not make any extra money. You might not make any extra, any extra, you know, your house might not be any bigger, but you know what? At the end of the day, you can put your head on the pillow and you will sleep so good.
1: Well, whatever is next for you Eric, I have no doubt that you will succeed and I absolutely want to thank you. Thank this you. has been great. I had a blast.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. And if this is the 51st or 53rd, whatever however many it ends up being cuz you got to cut it up, you can invite me back for the 60th because that's the diamond. That's the diamond episode. I just found out 60 is the diamond, so baseball diamond episode it's it's tremendous, and everybody likes diamonds, even guys.
2: You know, when you get to the 80th episode, you know what that is? The bottom of the ninth? Two outs? I don't know. Something could be. It's metaphorically speaking, but when you 80th, I think it's called you're on borrowed time. But, <laughs> that's what they call that when you get to the 80th. But, uh... Anyway, I echo Kevin. Uh, it was great to have you and uh, thank you uh, and share your insights and, and opinions and, and, and wisdom and uh, and just, you know, your general persona. So thanks for being here. And uh, we will talk to you soon, Eric, and good
1: luck in your pursuits. Flip, Kevin.
0: Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
1: Can you believe Kratz hit 367 as a Yankee? When, you're, when your career batting average is 209, that really is something else. And I don't care. Well, anybody says the pinstripes are magic flip,
2: you know, they really are, and uh, they were particularly in this case. And the batting average is nice. To, to, uh, honestly, great nice achievement. You know the games that he played, but he also you know caught really well. And you know the pitchers on the Yankees staff really enjoyed uh, throwing to him. His command of the game, his uh, you know his pitch selection, his uh, ability to frame, his ability to block a ball in the dirt. Uh, the ability to throw a runner out, um, you know, he really was, he really is a professional catcher and a very good one actually. And uh, he, he brought so much experience and you know, that uh, Brian Cashman, I mean, I know Brian Cashman has a very high opinion of Eric Kratz and he should. Uh, he's a, he's a really good guy and uh, the players really respect him and like him. They, the pitchers really enjoy throwing to him, enjoy throwing to him. And he makes it, he's a difference maker on a ball club. And he's been a difference maker in the many organizations that he's been through. And it's like, it's just that it's, you know, he's always been in demand when he left one organization, he went to another and and he, every place he's gone, he, he, he's left an impression and a very, very good one. There's an aura about him. He's easy to talk to. He knows his stuff. He doesn't back away from what he says. And there's a lot of respect that people should have for him because I will tell you, I have a lot of respect for him and I, you know, I don't know him all that well. Uh, but, I know him well enough to say that he's somebody I respect and in some ways admire. I admire his uh, his candor. I, 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 I admire his candor and I respect the things that he says.
1: Yeah, and I meant what I said. Whatever he chooses to do, he's going to be successful. I have no doubt. Before we go, flip, I, I think we need to put a bow on the Yankees road trip. It was a ten game road trip. as we record this, they are six and three, which means we need to go back to our predictions. <laughs> Last time we spoke, yeah. I said, Flip, what are they going to do on this 10-game road trip? You said six and four. I said seven and three. One of us is going to be right. Unfortunately, if you want to be right, Flip, you have to root for a loss. That's just the way it is.
2: Well, Henry Clay once said, I'd rather be right than president. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's just interesting quote uh, from Henry Clay. Those of you who don't know Henry Clay, I'm sure you can find it on Wikipedia. Everybody's found it on Wikipedia. The uh, great compromise, the, the great compromiser, Henry Clay, uh, one of my heroes. That's actually my study of history. Uh, having said all that, for why I don't know, um, uh, I would say I hope that I'm wrong and that you're right. Yankees could use another win, seven and three on a road trip. Six and four is okay. Seven three is better, obviously. So let's root for seven and three. And uh, you know, listen, your 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 ability as a prognosticator is actually second to none. I mean, the only thing I think you're a miss is in your, your fandom of the Orioles. I mean, thinking that they're going to win the World Series. I think that's a stretch, Kev. I've told you this, but what do I know? You know, whatever. Um,
1: uh, care to make this interesting? Because I already owe you Chipotle on the Orioles bet. And, and to be clear for first-time listeners, I did not say they were going to win the World Series. I said in 2020 they were going to make the postseason. They had a, a nice little run to start the season. It was a shortened 60-game season. The Marlins made it. So I wasn't that crazy.
2: Well, I mean, when you call me at two o'clock in the morning, Kevin, you say to me, hey, Flip, I just woke up at a dream and I know that I'm going to be right. I've been to the mountaintop. And let me tell you at the mountaintop is the Baltimore Orioles. They're going to win everything, Flip. I'm just telling you. And then you went back to sleep. It's it's fine, Kevin. I mean, you woke me up out of a sound sleep. I don't sleep that well. So I didn't know what to do. I stayed up all night thinking about this. and But it's okay, Kev. I mean, so I have a lack of sleep, which I do. And I attribute that to to that question and that philosophy, but but it's okay, Kim. I, I, I enjoy you. I respect you. despite all your numerous faults.
1: All right. So here's what we're going to do. Thank you for that respect. Uh, I already owe you Chipotle because of the Orioles bet. Yes. Uh, if I win this one, yes. I'm clean. I don't owe you anything. If you win, I owe you two Chipotles. Or maybe a Chipotle with you're extra
2: double, meat. I'm double down now. Is that what you're doing to me? You're double I'm double down. down double down. Well, wow. Now I, I can do accept it or not, but but I accept challenges. I love challenges. Sure, Cab. We'll double down on this. Let's double down. Although I hope you're right, and I hope uh, I don't. You don't owe me anything, which is fine. I obviously I I hope you're right because a win means more to me than any personal gain. I would, which is a meal, and I really don't need another meal. I can lose weight for sure. So oh, okay, stop. let's go with that. We we want <laughs> the Yankees to win. We're good with that.
1: All right. Before we lose anything, how about we uh, I lose anything else? How about we land this thing?
2: Yeah, this plane's been flying around for a long time today. <laughs> we're so low on gas. We, we, I mean, we're we're gonna crash land here. We we got we got to figure this out. So, any which way, uh, you're right. So the words of the great Ashley Fugazy. It's time to land the plane. And so let's land that plane for Kevin Sullivan. I'm John Filippelli. This is Curtain Call, and uh, thank our guest uh, Eric Kratz. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, uh, who would I like to thank? I'd like to thank Matt Stucco and his newborn Miles and his wife Becca. And uh, I'm going to one Brielle Saracini, who has uh, been integral to what that word is, integral to this, uh, what we did today. And she's uh, awesome. So it's nice having her around as well. So, on behalf of, from all of us to you, thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the other side.